Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, a reporting partnership between ProPublica and the PBS program Frontline examines how anti-critical race theory Activists are intimidating schools across the country. Nationwide, (laughs) educators are so frustrated because we are being attacked and accused of something that has not existed in K-12 education. And in this investigative feature, the focus is on a Cherokee County black educator forced out of her job as a newly hired DEI specialist. But the saga doesn't end there, as I'll be joined by veteran journalist and award-winning ProPublica reporter Nicole Carr. You can't wait to hear this story, folks, let me tell you. Also this hour, an anti-gun violence campaign is using various platforms to not only reach but include black youth in the messaging. We'll hear from 100 black men of Atlanta about the campaign. Now, those conversations are all ahead, but first this. The Atlanta City Council is expecting to vote today on a resolution to discourage police from prioritizing abortion enforcement. District 5 Councilwoman Liliana Bakhtiari introduced the measure. She says if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade and Georgia's six-week abortion ban takes effect, it would criminalize people who missed that cutoff. And Bakhtiari's resolution would classify most abortion violations as a low priority. The data gathering, the profiling, working with the state on those issues, make it your lowest priority, which actually is a very common practice in cities to direct the police on like how to prioritize crimes. The resolution would be non-binding. If approved, it would make Atlanta the latest U.S. city to announce intentions not to enforce state abortion bans if indeed Roe v. Wade is overturned. And also before the Atlanta City Council today, a bill of rights for renters. Legislation before the council calls for a number of protections, including some outlawed by the state, as we hear from Stephanie Stokes. A right to a lawyer in eviction hearings, a city office advocating for tenants, limits on rising rents. These are some of the things a tenant's bill of rights could include. The Atlanta City Council legislation is non-binding. It only requests the city to start developing a list of renter rights. It says this is necessary in a city where tenants make up the majority of residents, and where many of those residents are paying more than a third of their income on rent. The legislation also asks the state to help by lifting Georgia laws that prohibit controls on rent. This issue, though, has received little attention at the state capitol. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. In other news, the pandemic has negatively affected math scores, especially for Atlanta's younger students. That's according to new research from Georgia State University, as we hear from Martha Dalton. 
GSU compared data in Fulton and Clayton counties and another anonymous school district for the second consecutive year. Thomas Goldring is the director of research. We're looking for some evidence of bounce back, you know, some evidence that the recovery is taking hold and having an effect. And for some students, we're seeing that. But he says overall math scores lagged, especially among third and fourth graders and some students of color. In Fulton, GSU divided the county, which spans almost 90 miles, into northern and southern schools. The northern part of the county is more affluent and generally has higher test scores. But before the pandemic, schools on the south side were catching up. When COVID hit, GSU found those gains were wiped out. Fulton's chief academic officer, Cliff Jones, says the district has customized its recovery plans. Schools got more money based on the needs of the students in their school. It is really important to note that we were looking at academics, but we were also supporting the social and emotional welfare of our students and our communities and staff as well. Jones says the data has also helped Fulton decide which programs are needed at each school. Some may get more tutors, others may need extra time. The Clayton County School District also uses GSU's data to help shape instruction. Jackie Johnson is the district's director of research, evaluation, assessment, and accountability. If we have a program that is being implemented, we provide them with the list of students who are being targeted in that specific program, and then they will help us see if the students have made gains compared to other students who did not participate in that program. Thomas Goldring says GSU will continue to provide feedback to districts on their new instructional programs so they can refine them and maximize the benefit for as many students as possible. Martha Dalton, WABE News. Finally, Delta Airlines says it's pledging to counteract bias in its online advertising. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you. The Atlanta-based carrier seeks to make sure stereotypes based on race, gender, and other similar characteristics aren't unfairly used to decide when to show an ad. Delta says it will rely on algorithms developed by IBM to identify potential examples of bias and balance them out. While that initially could mean fewer ad clicks, the airline hopes over time it will increase sales. We should note the food company Kellogg also signed on to the pledge. We're back in a moment. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Here we go. CRT, critical race theory. Three little words that can cause an explosion of emotions regarding what CRT is and what it is not. We've been down this road before. While CRT has been around for decades, the last few years it's been used as a political fire rod, some would say, often accompanied with misinformation about critical race theory, what it is, where it's taught, 
which is not an elementary, middle, or high school. And since last year, Republican-led state legislatures, including Georgia this year, have passed measures while not exactly citing CRT, but banning, quote, divisive concepts in classrooms. So here in Georgia, how is that defined? Well, it includes this. One, that one race or ethnicity is inherently superior to another race or ethnicity. The United States of America and the state of Georgia are fundamentally or systemically racist. That's what you cannot teach in Georgia. Now, there's a reporting partnership between ProPublica and the PBS program Frontline that examines just how anti-critical race theory activists, if you will, are intimidating schools across the country. And in this investigative feature, the focus is on a Cherokee County black educator forced out of her job as a newly hired DEI specialist. But it doesn't end there, as you'll hear in just a moment. Nicole Carr is a veteran and award-winning investigative journalist with ProPublica. We all remember her from her TV days as well. She joins me now with more about all this. Nicole, welcome. Let's begin with you telling our listeners a little bit about Cecilia Lewis. Who is she? Sure. Uh, Cecilia Lewis, who I I hope uh, readers were able to connect with her in this piece Mm -hmm. and uh, see this controversy, you know, uh, for what it is and who it affects and uh, the real consequences of our words and actions. Uh, Cecilia Lewis is a longtime educator, uh, went to UNC Chapel Hill, studied international studies, uh, studied Russian and Japanese language, uh, celebrated educator. I uh, was a middle school principal when uh, she began in Southern Maryland, when she began applying to Georgia school districts for various reasons, she and her husband had decided to relocate to the area. So he was um, uh, transferred within his company to a position in Alpharetta, and she was just kind of uh, looking for uh, something in the realm of, of coaching teachers and, and teacher development in positions that she saw in a variety of counties. And Cherokee was uh, one of the first to call. So (laughs) So that's where she went to interview. Veteran educator, impeccable education track, not only as a teacher, but as a leader. So she's hired by Cherokee County School District to do what? So she applied, and I think this is really, really important to the story. Uh, She applied for a position that essentially... Uh, works as a coach for teachers, like Mm -hmm. someone in the school who they can access in their classrooms to help them with uh, curriculum, with developments, really taking veteran educators and pairing them uh, with teachers, not to evaluate them, but to uh, help them become better at their craft. And they would be accessible on the ground in the school. So that's the position she applied for. Uh, But when they got through this fantastic interview in Cherokee County. They were like, hey, we think you would be a great fit for this new position we've created. And so this DEI administrator, it was the first position of its kind, uh, kind of came out of uh, it, it developed from a couple of positions because there were there was a lot involved in this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they had an outgoing administrator who was focused on SEL, that's social emotional learning, mm-hmm. and the committees that came up with the programming for that that resulted from uh, Cherokee County's response to uh, the rate of suicides mm-hmm. in the school district. So this was pre-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, So that administrator was retiring and they were kind of roping in uh, diversity initiatives that 
uh, came out of another ad hoc committee, this one involving uh, stakeholders of color, parents, students, uh, staff, business owners in the community said, hey, uh, we need to better reflect the community. We need to address certain things within our uh, learning spaces that are inclusive of our uh, diversifying student body, you know, and addressing, as Cecilia Lewis likes to put it, the whole child. And so what gave her pause, and you read this in the story mm -hmm. about taking the position, was not what was behind it or what it included. Uh, it was the scope of it. Mm -hmm. uh, they were really creating something that they didn't even have a title for when she interviewed, mm. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of things. And they came up with the first administrator of, of DEI initiatives. And she looked at it as a position that could use data uh, to address the whole child. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like look at the needs of the, of, of the, the child in every aspect and, and see how we can better address them. And so she was excited about taking the job. And Nicole, um, what do we know about, Cherokee, Cherokee County Public Schools in terms of its demographics. I mean, it's it has a it's it's majority white when we say that and probably more than 60 percent. I, I believe I oh, read that. Yes. Yes. And and you read in an email from a parent about the um, the community. She was dissatisfied about Lewis coming mm -hmm. and she notes the census data for mm -hmm. Cherokee County and the schools look a lot like the census data. Mm -hmm. Right. So we were looking at. Um, 77% white um, and everyone else, you know, pacing. I don't have the stats right sure. in front of me. I don't want to misquote uh, them. But I think, it's, I think, it's not. It, it, well, in terms of non white, it would have to be somewhere around in the 30% anyway, if we're talking right. non white. So, right. Nicole, as word gets around, you just missing, you mentioned parents here that about Cecilia Lewis, there is a faction of parents with some concerns. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. go ahead. You take it from there. So, uh, you know, the position had been advertised and in newsletters and the ad hoc committee and all of that. Um, you know, even before she took the job, there was an announcement that had everyone's photo in it uh, in March of 2021 that welcomed new leaders to the district for the upcoming school year. And, uh, you know, when I'm filing open records requests, I see things take off after the announcements mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. um, so the position was out there. And I, I don't know if that is clear enough in the piece now that I'm talking <laughs> with you about this. The name of uh, the, the position or the idea behind the position and what it would address had been out there. Mm hmm. There's the this trouble starts after the announcement. Oh yeah, we will get to that. So there's this meeting, and I and I love how this is is presented. That takes place quote inside a gabled white clubhouse overlooking the hills of a Cherokee County golf course. Dozens of parents from across the county had assembled on a Sunday afternoon for a lesson in an emerging form of warfare. School board meetings would be their battlefield. Their enemy was CRT. We're going to play a clip of this. Um, identify great parents to speak. Not everybody's a 
shrill person that you just don't want to listen to. You can get somebody who mumbles a little bit, so you want to find your now we understand the audio may be a little bit difficult to understand, but here's a woman, I believe her name is Noel, and correct me if I'm saying her Cahan. name. Yeah. Cahan. Cahan. Mm-hmm. She's talking to the crowd about this, quote, tsunami strategy and a game plan in terms of how folks should strategize to oppose CRT, because it's their, it's the enemy. And so at this meeting, Nicole, what did you all learn? What what was the sort of the narrative in this meeting? Uh, there was a lot to unpack there. And uh, if I can back it up for a moment, Rose, going into this story, I, I imagined two stories, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what I would get. Mm-hmm. One was about what happened to Cecilia Lewis. And the other is like, how does this happen? How does this um, hysteria end up at the footsteps of... Um, the school board meeting buildings mm-hmm. across the country and how, do, why does it sound the same everywhere we turn? And why can't we clearly define what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. And why, and so it, the organization behind uh, this, this movement is what I was interested in. I, um, through records requests and sourcing, and I, I, I came across this audio Mm-hmm. Someone who was in that meeting said, hey, I went I went somewhere uh, almost a year ago and you should listen. Mm-hmm. And so on the meeting invite, you know, there was a specific agenda item, if you if you will, about uh, Cecilia Lewis's hiring. So she was a main uh, agenda item. Mm-hmm. They come back and they talk about her several times. But what we hear in the meeting very specific instructions about their how-tos, their toolkits, their, you know, there's a point in the meeting where someone asks, or the crowd is asked, do you know who your school board representative is? And everyone kind of laughs. Nobody knows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody knows. They, They arrive to the meeting and they don't even know some of them who represents. Is the plan here, do we we find out that the plan here is to strategize to prevent Miss Lewis from ever taking this position. Well, she'd already taken it. And so you hear, uh, you read in the story where a, a man says, you know, but we, we can change that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the plan is to figure out, um, how to get rid of her, <laughs> mm. how, how, and, and so, what we put together through the reporting is we see some of the strategies uh, discussed come to um, come into play. You know, the identical letters that are sent, the actual tsunami. You hear Kahan um, tell the crowd, you know, sometimes you can hire a professional videographer. Mm-hmm. This is what they did in Forsyth County. And that, you know, that's like your best chance to get on Tucker Carlson. Yeah, like, the, in fact, the, the quote is, it's good in case Tucker Carlson wants to put you on air. It really helps. It really helps. And so this this is very much coaching. And when you, when you begin to look into the groups, you see the ways. And I wrote a column. It came out Saturday about kind of the story behind the story. But there are, are ways in which these groups uh, maintain portals where you anonymously report teachers and incidents and so you don't have to identify yourself or mm-hmm. or the game plan or even this but you just need to provide them with something to 
to start whatever is about to start. And mm -hmm. no, I was going to ask, when did Cecilia Lewis begin to feel this? The target that she was a target. It was in April. Um, We start the story, uh, you know, in the aftermath of a, a house hunting trip. She and her husband were just trying to look for a place in Woodstock. And her first sign, it does, her first communication isn't directly from these, these groups. It's from um, the school district. They start calling and asking her strange questions. <laughs> and you have to put yourself in, in the shoes of everyone in, in spring of 2021. We really didn't have a hold on this movement then. You know, a lot of people have been mm-hmm. saying, well, how does she not know how CR- what CRT is? Because that's the first question she's asked, mm-hmm. right? The district calls and said, do you know what CRT is? And she says, culturally responsive teaching. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what she is. That's her thing, right? And um, they're like, well, no, there's a group of parents or a, a group, a community, a group of folks in the northern part of the county and an affluent part of the county. Uh, they're worried you're bringing this here. And mm-hmm. she's like, I... I don't know. And they tell her not to worry that they have a handle on it because by then they're already um, being contacted Mm -hmm. and asked to meet with the same folks who, um, who lead the uh, session that we hear in this audio a month later. And so after that, that's when she starts getting, you know, handwritten notes, Mm -hmm. emails uh, to her districts in Maryland. Uh, You read in the piece where that someone had written her, you don't want to find out what will happen if you come here. It, right. it, they, you know, we, it's. I, w- I want to read it. I want to read it very clear for our, for our listeners. It says, we don't want you here. and We don't want you to push us to find out what will happen if you come here. Right. Right. And then she gets uh, the handwritten letter, one that stuck or email. One of the emails that stuck out to her was the one calling her a black Yankee from mm-hmm. the north. And so now she's starting to feel like, okay, and this is, this is April. We're inching into, to May, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, then we get to the school board meeting that, you know, a lot of local outlets Mm -hmm. covered the inside of this meeting. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Nicole Carr, investigative reporter. We're talking about Cecilia Lewis in the Cherokee County School District, but there's a lot more to this. Nicole, I want to, if we can, and I don't want to, we definitely want our listeners to check out the piece here. What happens in terms of this job, Cecilia Lewis? Um, So she, one of the final calls that she gets from the district on the morning of May 20th, 2021, is, um, you know, were you going to, watch the school board meeting the live stream because Mm -hmm. she's in maryland Mm -hmm. at the time although these groups in their private facebook groups they've had sightings of her they say they see her around town the woman's not in georgia Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the time but uh she didn't have plans to watch the board meeting and and someone said i think you should watch and so she and her husband watched the live stream from their bedroom in maryland and um you know, it, it, there was a prayer circle that was formed, uh, near the, um, the dais where the board members sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, people were walking around with t-shirts and, you know, I don't co-parent with the government and it, mm-hmm. it had a, the energy in that room was 
it was high energy. They wanted them to, um, you know, get rid of that position and vote against CRT in the 1619 project, mm-hmm. which, which they did. The crowd was not happy because uh, they were moving forward with something that they thought was the equivalent of, of CRT mm-hmm. with a different name. So, you know, they've been told in the clubhouse and in other forums and by these groups that DEI, SEL, um, any of these three letter <laughs> um, mm. words, they're all the same thing. And it got to the point where they had to cut the meeting short. Mm-hmm. I think what was not reported locally and what we could not see, um, you know, in the moment, um, maybe some of the reporters had left or cameras had left or what, but I, they had to pull kids into a room and get security to follow mm-hmm. the board members and staff members out to the highway. Board members had security at their homes after this, like this thing, what we're able to see from or learn from witnesses outside uh, was banging on the windows. Mm-hmm. The, you know, it, it was uh, reminiscent of a different time. And I think we understand what. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cecilia Lewis makes a decision. That her husband says it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're listening to the speakers and I believe it was a representative for uh, Vernon Jones's campaign at the time he was running for governor. But when they invoked Dr. King's words and mm-hmm. it was, you know, used against her and she's she's like, I can't believe, you know. She's mm-hmm. listening to all the speakers and he said, that's it. We're not going. You're not going. And he leaves the room and she she watches a little while longer and shuts the laptop. And next morning, you know, she's telling Superintendent Hightower, um, thank you, but but no thank you. And they wanted her to stay. They wanted her to stay. There was talk about having her come on underneath a different title name or something. You know, it, it wasn't. She was not fired. She mm-hmm. was, this was not a place yeah. that she could effectively function. You spoke with Cecilia Lewis, obviously. Um, how would you describe the emotion that she was going through and telling her side of the story or, or following up on things that were, she was accused of? things that were said about her, the threats, let's be really clear. Some of those were threats. Those are threats. Yeah. Right. And they're not, I don't even say veiled threats. You no. know, you know, when they're very clear. Yeah. Threatened. They're very clear. They're very clear. Uh, a, a range of emotions is what she, she goes through in this interview and, and some of it you'll be able to see. We've embedded little parts in mm-hmm. it, but we're working on a, a, a documentary with frontline um, about this issue. And you'll really see the range she um she's a very optimistic person mm-hmm. like it was until that school board meeting it was like i'm coming and it, you there's a quote in the story to the effect of you know i just i would meet with the parents once i got there and they could see who i am and hear from me and see what i'm all about i thought it would be okay and that's as she's receiving the the letters mm-hmm. at work in maryland you know and uh you know, I think it, it was a range of emotion. She was angry. She was saddened, confused, yeah, not knowing where this is coming from because she hasn't even, she's been here twice. Mm-hmm. 
she's she's physically been here twice at that point. And then um, Nicole, yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't end. One would think it no. might end with Cherokee County, but then there's another opportunity in another county. And that's what's so interesting about this story. Um, early on, I was I caught a comment in a local story where someone had said to watch out for Cecilia Lewis because now she's going to Cobb. You know how folks comment on the mm-hmm. in, in the local the paper. And I said, what? I never heard that part of the story. I didn't realize it. And when I went to her LinkedIn. I saw where she'd only been here two months. Well, once I get into reporting, we see where these groups of, of folks who are in, they have their private Facebook groups that I had access to. Um, they found out her next move. Mm-hmm. Said, guess where she's possibly headed next to Cobb. And in the comments section, you have people uh, talking about reaching out to their contacts there and warning them. And through open records, I can see where immediately, as soon as she starts with the social studies supervisor position, mm-hmm. a short time later, um, that the complaints went straight to the the four Republican school board members and and district leadership from the public, not not the other three board members. And if our listeners don't know the Cobb makeup at the time, mm-hmm. it was, you know, we had uh, three black Democrats, four white mm-hmm. Republicans and a very contentious um, set up there. Nicole, in, in Cobb. I, I, I got to ask, mm-hmm. gotta, did anyone from the Cherokee County School District agreed to go on a record with you all. Did any one of those parents from those groups, did they agree to go on a record with you all? The the school members did. You hear uh, from Mike McGowan mm-hmm. in there. He's the uh, chief, one of the chief officers with the district. Yeah, they spoke very openly about hating what had happened to her. Uh, Superintendent Hightower declined to talk mm-hmm. um the school board chairwoman, uh, Kyla Cromer, declined to go on the record. Um, I spoke with the communications director in, in McGowan and several others who just did not like mm-hmm. what happened here. Um, among the leaders in that meeting is a parent, a, a mother of four um, there in, in Cherokee. I No one uh, would respond uh, from that side of the mm-hmm. story um mm-hmm. and and to be very clear when we publish a story and it's this is a very long one mm-hmm. <laughs> seventh out we let people know exactly uh what is in it what's coming it comments and we got nothing um mm. we we also should remember and i may be getting ahead of myself please stop me if i i am but what so Cecilia comes to Cobb immediately, starts having trouble, is warned mm-hmm. that this thing, this movement has followed her here. The Cobb folks saying, we don't want what happened to you in Cherokee to happen here. And it's like, well, what did I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am. Just, and we should we should remember that through records, we see it was Cherokee County that sent her resume and kind of poked Cobb to say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, essentially our loss could be your gain so they did not feel good about this and they wanted her uh to move on how and wow mm-hmm. what's the feedback been like so far I mean, you all just published this but have you heard from maybe some residents in cherokee county who said we all 
didn't feel that way? This is a certain group of factions of, of parents, or did you? I'm curious. What have you heard? I've I've heard sadly this is who we are. That's what I've heard. Thank you for writing it. Um, I've I've heard some more pretty sad stories from former district employees and former parents of color. Um, I've heard from people who said they were sad to watch this. They stayed out of it. People who did not agree with what was going on. Um, I have not heard from folks who stand by their assertions that she was here to do something bad. I haven't heard from those folks. I've heard they're, they're talking about me in the article a bit in their private groups, but not <laughs> no one has uh, reached out. Um, oh, oh, really? What they say about you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, well, we can talk well, about that over uh, a Chardonnay, maybe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, we, we, that, that's not for, for the program. We'll uh, leave that. But nothing, you know, and, and we have to remember, we're talking today on runoff day. And, um, you know, you have the folks who were a part of a movement that grew out of this. Remember, we have... Um, far right candidates or ultra conservative mm -hmm. candidates who ended up in a, a group uh, running mm -hmm. um, and, and platforms is Cecilia Lewis leaving Cherokee County as a thing they, you know, we mm -hmm. won't let this happen. Can you imagine what would have happened if she came here? Uh, they ran uh, supported by a super PAC, the 1776 project PAC out of New York with mm -hmm. uh, the first endorsement of the year. Uh, two of the candidates did not make it past the primary. Two mm -hmm. are in runoffs today. Mm -hmm. And one of the leaders from the clubhouse is running for House Seat 117. That's Noel the Cahan. Nicole. Or Noel, no, excuse Noel. me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, I think from here, what we what we see, uh, the, the story from here is, you know, how how does is policy shaped? Um, what happens to folks who uh get into positions where we can can see real you know change coming to curriculum or hires or that you know based on these assertions that mm -hmm. we see in the story um you know we have legislation we have rules resolutions and all of these things that you talked about in the intro that really will um, impact educators in the coming school year mm -hmm. so we haven't seen uh the effect of the the movement quite yet, but I, what I wanted to show in this story is a bit of how we got here and who it impacted in what ways that we were not necessarily aware of. Nicole. And mm. there we go. Compelling. <laughs> Nicole Carr, award-winning veteran, investigative journalist now with ProPublica. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the backstory and what you all did to get this story out to the public. Thank you so much for your work. This is what it's all about, right? Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. 
Here's a message, and it's very clear. We want to reduce gun violence, especially amongst the populations we serve. That's from the organization 100 Black Men of Atlanta. Now, they are part of the National 100 Black Men of America, which is actually headquartered here in the city. And this anti-gun violence campaign is using many various platforms to not only reach, but include black youth in the messaging. Joining me now with more is Richard and Joshua Bird, members of 100 Black Men in Atlanta. Now, Joshua, the nephew, chairs the Anti-Gun Violence Committee. And Richard has been with the organization for decades, dating back to the 1980s. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us today. Richard Byrd, I want to start with you. We've been hearing, obviously, there's been an uptick in violence, and not just here in Atlanta, but throughout the nation. But we're also seeing an increase in violence among our youth. Just want to start our conversation with you reflecting on all of this, and, and what do you think is happening here? Well, I think the guns have become prevalent, prevalent in our society, and we're moving toward a gun-carrying society. Uh, I think that the reaction that we see from the, our children is that they don't possess the skills or the ability to solve conflicts in a, in a different way. And so I think that they're turning to violence in doing that. Hmm. Joshua, what do you think? Well, it's definitely a society that uh, is not unfamiliar, unfortunately. Uh, growing up in the 1980s, you know, we in the 90s, we saw a lot of violence. And we saw it, it reside for, you know, um, kind of die down for a couple of decades in its back. And it's unfortunate because I saw it a lot in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've been on this mission. I, I tell folks to sort of save myself, to sort of help folks who grew up in similar circumstances. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are living under those same pressures. And, it, and it's, not a, it's not a good way to live. It's not a good way to grow up. I've talked with folks, advocates who do the work that you all are doing, who work with youth, and a lot of them tell me, you know, Rose, yes, it is about uh, the inability to handle conflict, but many will point to some other systemic issues, particularly in the communities. Um, Not an excuse, but might provide an explanation in terms of poverty uh, being one. And we know that uh, Unfortunately, for some kids, they turn to the gangs or they turn to some type of activity because they want to get the means that they don't have. How do you see that playing a part in this as well? Yeah, absolutely. As a criminal justice professor, you know, you look at criminological theory and a lot of folks will say, well, I don't want to hear the theory. I want to hear about poverty. There are also other people who grew up in poverty who are not making those same decisions. Mm -hmm. But you actually have to step back and look at it. What does poverty mean? prevent one from doing. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do is try to expose students to uh, other ways of handling situations. When you travel, you see people of different cultures. You interact with different folks. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have the financial means to go to the Hyde Museum of Arts, when you have the financial means to go to different places, you learn new things. Mm -hmm. And so your skill set, your toolbox is enhanced. What poverty does is it almost forces so many students. So many of our students say they've never been to the other side of town. I was doing a listening session. We were doing a listening session at the Department of Juvenile Justice where students said, we went to the other side of town. We went to to Buckhead for the first time. That's where we stole the car. And you know why we got caught? We didn't know our way around. Mm -hmm. We'd never been there. And so this idea of poverty, it, it prevents folks from being exposed to different people different um, ideas about how do you interact Mm -hmm. and you end up growing up almost in this bubble where everyone acts the same and if that bubble has a dominant culture 
where guns are the tool that we use to resolve differences, mm -hmm. then that's all they know. Mm -hmm. Richard, you are you from Atlanta, right? This is your Indeed. hometown. Indeed. So, and, and you're a proud Morehouse man. I got to get that out in there. Thank I you. want you to reflect back to when you were in your teens and what community meant to you. Because I think a lot of folks also will talk about Atlanta communities have changed, particularly in black neighborhoods, that the community structure is different. So even if a, a person, a young person, didn't have what they needed, quote unquote, needed in that household, they got it from the community through various other organizations or whatnot. You see that as also being an issue here, that communities don't have that, that strength, those other ties, those other options for youth to get involved with. Well, I think that the community is is coming forth with a lot of other, lot of uh, other options for our children. I think part of it is that there is a culture of violence that we need to interrupt. That is why our program includes not just the intervention that Joshua is doing in our school systems now, but we're talking about a messaging power. We're talking about an awareness program, an awareness program just that we had with the cigarette smoking with seatbelt and with covert. Mm -hmm. And what we need is to get the media to help us out and help us to engage the community and change the, the thinking of the community. We see gun violence as a public health issue. And what we think needs to happen is that there should be a public health response, just like cigarette smoking. And so we are gonna be calling on mainstream media, social media, to help us by developing uh, uh, a public service announcement that can help us make gun violence a pariah in our community. And we should note that the CDC has declared, uh, much like racism, they've declared gun violence a public health threat. And when you talk about, Richard, though, when you talk about engaging the media, is this the platform that you think is best to reach the communities that you want to reach? Or do you have to actually be out in the community as well? Well, part of it is that we're out in the community with what Joshua is doing with our intervention modality. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing when we start talking about changing the minds of the community is what we did with cigarette smoking, that we showed the devastation that was taking place in the community, and it had people to change their minds about smoking cigarettes. We didn't stop everybody from smoking cigarettes, mm -hmm. but we put a large dent into it. Mm -hmm. And so we can do the same thing with gun violence, I believe. Joshua, with this campaign, where does it begin then for you all? What are those areas that you got to hit first? Yeah, the first thing is being sensitive to what our youth and, and the general public is going through. Mm -hmm. Just Because you don't want to sound like you're preaching. Absolutely. Because you know, in weird age, <laughs> folks telling us, even though what they told us was right, told us was right what did we say? Y'all preach too much. Exactly. And that's exactly what one of our students at Best Academy said, who, who uh, was a participant in our poetry, arts, and essay contest. He actually wrote an essay. And I asked him, when it comes to the do's and don'ts, what works and what doesn't work around this gun violence culture and conversation? He said, well, the first thing is you have to be relatable. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to be preached to, but we want you to be sensitive to our needs because many of us are dealing with uh, violence and we're dealing with the impact of death and, and gun violence in our homes. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be sensitive so that we'll open up and talk. But if you are preaching, if it is a one-sided conversation, they're really turned off by that. So then how do you begin to approach them so that it doesn't sound like that you're preaching? And sometimes if you, even if you want to bring in law enforcement, you have to be 
sensitive to that too because of the communication or the community policing issues that folks have. It's a delicate balance. One of the things that I thought was very important was that when we went into Best Academy, we went into Ivy Prep Academy, and we went in with our conflict resolution, if you will, curriculum, it was important to have a consistent message, but also have the same person so that you can sort of build that rapport. Mm -hmm. And what I walked away was that many students said, we like consistency. Day one, we won't open up. Maybe it's not day two or three, Mm -hmm. but after a while, they'll start to open up and they'll start to share and they'll be willing to have that conversation with you. Richard, are you all focusing primarily with Atlanta Public Schools or are you partnering with certain schools or is it open just to certain communities? How are you all reaching these kids? We're first starting with the Atlanta Public School System, but we plan to go into any place where we can reach the population that's committing these crimes mm-hmm. and, and, and that's using gun violence. Uh, we have tried our best to try to get into the juvenile uh, uh, detention center mm-hmm. systems. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to reach youth at where they are anywhere in our community, not just the public school system. We're looking at looking into the mayor's midnight basketball mm-hmm. and to see how we can connect with that and do the same kinds of things. What do you hear from students when you all talk to them? Rich, I'll stay with you for a moment. What do you hear? What are some, some of the things that they say in terms of how they deal with conflict resolution? Or even just in general, what's going on in their life? What do you hear? Well, Joshua works mostly with our, with our students. Uh, part of my campaign has been with what we did with our messaging. Okay. And that had to do with the billboards that we, we put up that uh, out front helped us to do. Mm-hmm. And then now, we're, uh, like I said before, we're trying to connect with the media to help us to do sort of, sort of the same things. What we did before when I had the program back in the early 1990s were at sports events. We had anti-violence messages. Mm-hmm. We had it at the Hawks game and the Brave, Braves game and the Falcon game. And we had it at our games that when we used to have the, the football game, the, mm-hmm. the uh, annual classic that the Hunter and Black Band put on. So my focus has been with the messaging part. Joshua has been de- dealing with primarily the intervention part of our program. Yeah, and bring that football students. game back, too. I like that. That was awesome. <laughs> Joshua, what do you hear from the kids? They, they want someone to be in their lives consistently. What I found very interesting when we spoke with with students who are under the supervision of the Department of Juvenile Justice was that students are encouraged to get involved with sports. I never thought about this, but sometimes students don't make the team. Right. And everybody is not. Everybody don't want to play ball. They don't want to play ball. So what do we have in place that is going to catch all students or give all students an outlet Mm -hmm. and so one of the things they looked at they they said that mentoring really works unfortunately it's not consistent enough Mm -hmm. i need you monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday not just once a week so they want someone who's there and that is that is the reason why we hear so much about gangs uh and that gang culture being part of this gun violence because as soon as that consistency stops there is someone there who can be there on a consistent basis. So they definitely want consistency. Mm-hmm. They also want someone who's going to listen to them mm-hmm. and they feel like are relatable and not preaching, as we talked about earlier. And so they're, they're, they're wanting almost a mentor 
which is one of the the staples of our program with 100 Black Men. It is, but do you have enough mentors? We don't, and that's why we're calling on the community. We're looking to partner with any and every organization in the city of Atlanta who's willing to work with us. And what I mean by that is our anti-gun violence committee is a committee that's open to the public. Mm -hmm. We've had individuals who've lost several children come to our committee meetings. We've met with the Atlanta police chief. We've met with the uh, special agent in charge with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation who focuses on gang and gun violence. Uh, we've, we've met with uh, the Department of Juvenile Justice, APD officers generally. We've heard from a lot of folks, but we welcome anyone from the community who wants to make a difference because we can't do it alone. And what's happening is that our anti-violence committee meets every second Thursday at Flipper Temple AME Church. Mm -hmm. And to be a member of our 100 Black Men's anti-violence committee, you don't have to be a member of the 100 Black Men. We're seeking anybody in the community, mm -hmm. any group in the community that can help us interrupt this culture of violence. Summer is here, pretty much. Um, there are some concerns. I've spoken with Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens. He's talked about that there are 3,000 jobs available for kids or youth 14 to young adults up to t age 24. How concerned are you about this summer? You know, we're coming out of, we're still in the pandemic, but, you know, we're coming out of some looser restrictions, obviously, than last year and, and the year before. What concerns do you have if you all can't at least be part of the solution and get more kids in, involved in, in not just the campaign, but seeking other alternatives in terms of the, the deadlier outcome here, Richard? Well, economic opportunity and education is a part of what we do with our students. And we're always seeking economic opportunities for our students, internships and uh, after school jobs, uh, summer jobs. And so we'll be working with the mayor to try to make sure that that's a success. Joshua, I, I saw you were doing some spoken word. Uh, you know, I do my homework here. <laughs> How big? How much is that a part of what you are able to do with the kids? And that's it's expressive, you know. It's a way, Absolutely. Way for them to get it out, whether they write or whether they do spoken word. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a, a point of emphasis. Part of our curriculum has has discussed with them, and we work with them on healthy behaviors. A lot of time, that poetry, the arts, the essay, it helps them mm -hmm. uh, work through their emotions, work through uh, their feelings, and that's been really successful. Going back to your point about how concerned are you, mm -hmm. it is a major concern. Uh, research shows that crime does literally heat up during mm -hmm. the summer months, and one of the reasons um, that happens, I believe, is that at school you do have who we would encourage students to reach out to, uh, someone they trust, a mm -hmm. teacher, if there is a conflict. They're on their own in the mm -hmm. summertime. Uh, and, and you talked about uh, in the summer months being without AC. Mm -hmm. So many of our families are without this. So they find themselves outside for longer periods mm -hmm. of time. And so they're on edge. They're anxious, uh, anxiety. They don't have a job. They want to go do things, and they can't. And so all of those things really are a major concern. So the jobs, to your point, um, are really important. But just going back to the poetry, uh, I opened up our program at Best Academy with a piece called I Want Out, and it talked about um, a lot of things that students are dealing with. Can you uh, drop some bars for me? I I'll do a piece of it because right. it's rather long. That's um, okay. Uh, but it's uh, a dying breed cries a creed as it bleeds. Can you hear it? I want out, young tears, they shout in place of their broken spirits. Hopeless lyrics paint illusions of honeys, cars, and cash. It's total enslavement. They're now addicted to the radio blast. A miscasted seed in the cities facing years down the road. 
but not because he wanted to, but because he was told that school wasn't cool. You see, he broke the rules as he worked on the block, serving crack to kill his neighbors as he struggled with pot. I want out, his spirit screamed, but he can let his face know because peer pressure. Peer pressure was on his back and his reputation couldn't fold, so he called her a whoa, the one he loved with his soul. And guess what? She responded to him because nobody was there to show her the way. Her mom, she worked all day. She was a struggling single, fed up with her baby daddy because every night he'd mingle on the streets with phony fellas who were jealous of him because he had a family who really cared about him. I want out, mama would scream with her daughter on her side to the top of her lungs. She would yell and run and hide over my dead body, her baby daddy would say. As he delivered deadly punches that discolored her face. I want out, her daughter also cried, but to deaf ears in a home. You see, mama couldn't hear her cry because she was screaming all along, but the cell phone, <laughs> it was that a listening baby girl had to vent. So it was, whoa, what you want? That's how a boyfriend would begin. And it goes on and it deals with the different elements. And at the end, it talks about how one guy is dating another guy's girlfriend and their friends. And it ends up with a conflict. And ultimately, the police are called. And ultimately, a young man is shot and killed. And everybody wanted out of that situation. And that encapsulates everything that we've been talking about today. Joshua and Richard Bird, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you and 100 Black Men of Atlanta for what you're trying to do and what you continue to do. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are Janine Netter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our intern is Lennox Johnson, and our engineer is Kevin Rinka. Reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. So send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And of course, if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And also, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. And we have a podcast, so subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.